0: Good morning again, and glad to see you on the last Sunday of the year. And we have had four Sundays where we, I guess you would say, observed Advent. We looked at some passages from the Old and the New Testament having more to do with God becoming a man, the incarnation. And I hope everybody had a good Christmas. But we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm uh, going to preach in German. I'm just kidding. At the I'm I'm going to draw from Proverbs, Old Testament book of Proverbs. And I want to do this with an eye to the new year. And I I don't want to be a slave to the calendar, but I want to recognize that we're about to go into a new year. I had a homeroom eighth grade teacher, and she used to quote something to us that her dad said to her. Uh, She said that her dad would tell her when she had a big test coming up, study like you're not going to pray and pray like you're not going to study. And that stayed with me. And I don't know if her dad knew this, but he, he actually was hitting on something that's a theological tension. And it's a tension that Christians have recognized and theologians have recognized. And the tension is that on the one hand, uh, God is all-powerful. The Bible's very clear about that. <clears throat> Old and New Testament, he, no one can thwart His purposes. Uh, his purposes stand. He rules over every molecule. And at the same time, humans are making real choices, real decisions. We have what some people would call actual human agency. So when we plan things, when we implement things, when we decide things, it's real. It's not pretend. You know, we're not robots. It's real. But biblically, those things don't cancel each other out. They, they hold hands. They coexist. That God, as, as has been said, God is sovereign, but human agency is. Is real now. We're going into this new year, and there's something about New Year's that I think makes us think about plans. And uh, I said this at the first service. I I have worked more on 2014, <clears throat> excuse me, than I've ever worked on a, on a, on a next year. And I'm almost scared to say that publicly because I feel like now that I've said that, by March it'll just be in shambles, you know, and like smoking rubble everywhere. But I'm saying it to say that's part of the issue is we have to make plans. And I I, I want to push on that. We've got to make plans. But you never know what's coming because God knows more than we do. And the thing that Scripture commends, again, Old and New Testament, is having wisdom. Intelligence is great. Scripture has a high view of thinking, of rationality. God invented that, flows out of who He is. But the thing that it really commends to people is not being the smartest person in the room. It commends wisdom. And I've heard one person define wisdom as it's, it's the ability to navigate the complexities of life. Because you think about it, most of what's going to be thrown at you in 2014 is not just going to have this clear-cut answer where you just sort of check the Ten Commandments and go, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, guys, I can't murder that person. No, the answer is no. You know, like, let me scale it up. No, the answer is no. It's, it's just going to be things that are gray, it's got this side to it, that side to it, and we're going to need wisdom. What does it look like to plan for next year wisely? And hopefully to start answering that question, I want to commend these Proverbs to you. So let's look from God's Word about planning, drawing from the book of Proverbs. We'll start with one from chapter 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. But those who plan peace have joy. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. The heart of man plans his way but the Lord establishes His steps. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that as we actually are this morning, that You would really help us as we continue to worship and we hear your word. And it it may be that many of us are really tired from the holidays, that that they have not been restful, that there's been so much travel, so much activity, maybe um, difficult family relationships, that we're here this morning but we're tired, or we have colds, or we're preoccupied, uh, or we're preoccupied with the coming year. So, Lord, as we actually are, Father, please help us from your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> if you do a search of top stressors, stressors, one that is always at the top of the list is money. And if it's not the top, it's always in the top two or three. It's, it's at the top for individuals, at least for American individuals. Uh, when lists are made about stressors for marriage it's always in the top two or three. What do, what do married couples often fight about? They fight about money problems, money disagreements. So obviously, it's something that it stresses us, it worries us. Okay, now that being said, think about this. A Gallup poll came out this past summer, and it said, it, the, the estimate was that in, in the poll that two-thirds of Americans do not have a personal budget. Now, think about the juxtaposition of those two things. I worry about money. I think about money. I get together with people and we talk about how we're worried about money. That and I don't make a plan. Or at least the majority of us don't don't have a plan. And I want you to think about that in some ways that's a window into who we are. That's a window into our hearts that we can simultaneously say, yeah, this thing in my life, boy, that's a big deal. That's important. I want that to be good in 2014 and simultaneously not make plans for it. And again, there's nothing magical about rolling over the calendar into the new year. But at, it is a time where we sort of think about the chronology that we're wrapping up this and we're going to that. And this is old now and this is new. I had a friend that said, every, he said, Brian, every December, I, I, it's weird, the older I've gotten, at the end of December I just start making lists. It's almost like my little liturgy or something. I just start writing things down and listing and things that I want to see happen in the new year. He said, the rest of the year, I'm never like that, but at the end of December, that's, that's what I'm like. So I think it's a natural impulse. Here's a new year. What are the plans? And we want to do it with wisdom. So let, let, me, let me throw out three things that I want, to, I want to meditate on this morning. The first thing is this. I've already said this, that wisdom embraces good planning. No No shocker. Wisdom embraces good planning. Second thing is this. God's plan weighs more. God's plan weighs more. The last thing is this. Wise planning is an act of trust. Wise planning is an act of trust. But let's start with the first one, the most obvious one, that wisdom embraces good planning. If you've read anything about uh, work efficiency or productivity, you might have seen the name David Allen. David Allen wrote a book years ago called Getting Things Done. People who are into his stuff call it GTD, Getting Things Done. And he podcasts and has website stuff and all that. But one of the things that he talks about is that your mind is amazing. Our minds are amazing. But when you're trying to remember a million different little things, your mind is not great at that. And when you've got all these unresolved things that I need to think about that, I need to give that further thought, I need to revisit that, I need to, I need to check with them about that, he calls those open loops. And he says when you've got these open loops, it shuts down creativity, it shuts down productivity, get enough of them, and it really starts to overwhelm a person. And so, now I'm not, I'm not throwing this out to say, you know, we're the David Allen church and you must go buy this book. But as somebody who thinks about this all the time, here's, here's one of the number one things he says to do. You must get these things out of your brain. You must objectify them and write them down. If something comes across your mind, write it down. Get it out. Put it on your phone, whatever. Then you've got to do something else. Because if that generates a list of a million things, then you want to cry. Because it's so much. And, and now, you're, now you're reading the things that have been haunting you then you've got to start to work through it and ask yourself, all right, is this something I can really act on? And if I can, what would that involve? What would the next action step be? All right, and when you do that, you're planning. You're planning. And Scripture commends that. I mean, look at at the first proverb. This is sort of the catch-all, hey, plans are good if you want to be wise. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. That sounds good to me. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. All right? So wisdom embraces good planning. But then when you say good planning, we need to define what we mean, right? What makes... I mean, there's bad planning. There's mediocre planning. What makes planning good planning? Biblically speaking, if we're going to be wise, it needs to have a couple of aspects to it. The first one is the goal has to be good. And then the input has to be good. The advice has to be good. And Think about the first one. The goal has to be good. Look at the second proverb down. It says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. And some people do plan evil. 9-11 was intricately planned. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. I think in our context, you can read that proverb... And it doesn't really connect. It can, you can feel like, I, I'm not going to plan violence. It's not like I would say, 10.30, attach explosives to enemy's car. 11.30, know, secure poisonous darts for well That's not what most of our you know, schedules look like. Most of us, it doesn't look like that. 12 o'clock, lunch. But think about the biblical term, peace. Think about, in the Hebrew Bible, peace, shalom. What is shalom? Shalom has been defined as human flourishing. It's not just the absence of war, the absence of fighting, but it's the thing that we lost when Adam and Eve sinned. It's connection between us and God, and connection with one another, and connection with the creation. It's the way things are supposed to be. Human flourishing, that shalom. And here's what it's saying. You'll have joy when you plan for peace, when you plan for shalom. Again, think about just right there. It's not just that I need to to become more of a productive person that I crank in 2014 more than I've ever cranked. Let's use that as an example. What if you got smarter about your productivity and you used your mornings better, and you got up earlier, and you used this really rich, productive time when other people are sleeping, or your office, you know, your office has people aren't there yet. Yeah, you could crank more than you'd ever cranked. But if that becomes the goal, guess what you can end up doing? You schedule relationships out of your life. You can schedule friendships out of your life. Some of you say to me, semi-regularly, yeah, I, I, I work and I can crank and I don't really have friends. You can be highly productive and not plan shalom. Or think about this. I, you know, hey, I want to be, be the kind of uh, employee, I want to be the kind of person that my supervisor, my bosses thinks, wow, you, uh, we, we can't get rid of her. We can't get rid of him. They just they're, they're so incredibly competent. That's a wonderful thing to be said of you. But we're supposed to be close to God. And that takes some planning. And you think about how your best friendships, how they operate. It's not like with your very, very best friend you say, hey, let's get together and from two to three, we're going to have an incredibly good talk and achieve massive connection. <laughs> and be done at three. That's not how it works. What you do is you spend a lot of time together and sometimes it's mundane, but then sometimes there is just this the connection really spikes or sparks or however you want to say it. That, that you get like, wow. That's why this person is my best friend. But you have to log a lot of time for that to happen sometimes. It's the same with the Lord. You can't just say, Ah, oh, from two to three, I'll really give myself over to Bible reading and prayer, and incredible things will happen to my heart. It is beneficial to do that, but you can't schedule closeness to God. You have to spend a lot of time with Him to sometimes experience, Wow, He is real, and He's with me, and He loves me, and these things are true, and the gospel's the best thing ever. But that takes planning. It can't be catch as catch can, all right? So the goal, it's not just crank, but it's to plan shalom. But we need input. Okay, let me, let me read these again, or, or, or this one. I, I put one, there are multiple proverbs about this. Those other verses are parallel text. Third one down. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs love saying this. And guys, think about this. There are some wonderful aspects to being American. I love, I mean, it's unbelievable the blessings that are afforded by living in the United States. But, every culture has weaknesses too. There are things that Americans enshrine that will kill wise planning. You ever thought about that? We are the individualism people. Almost unparalleled in history. Uh, We think of ourselves primarily as me over us. Proverbs says, if you don't have some us in your planning, you won't be wise. We we enshrine privacy. We have made privacy constitutional. Well, so much of how we approach planning sometimes is, hey, look, look, let me get alone with my thoughts. Let me get in my four walls, and I will come up with my plans. Now, if I need you for some particular point, I'll ask you about it when Proverbs is saying, you need community. And not just as a buzzword, like actual people who know you and ideally who love the Lord to speak into your life. The more important it is, the more we need that, right? So, all right, wisdom embraces good planning. And nothing I've said so far really is uniquely Christian. I mean, we we could just say that so far this is Judeo-Christian, but then let's, let's go the next step. We've got to make plans, if we're going to be wise. But God's plan weighs more than our plans. Now, let me read these two Proverbs again, and I want you to notice how these two Proverbs, they both affirm two points. And look at the fourth and fifth ones down. Fourth one down. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And then the next one, many are the plans in the mind of a man. Now, in English, we translate it, many are the plans in the mind of a man. In Hebrew, it says, in the heart of a man. Many are the plans in the heart of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Now, what are the two things that both those verses just affirmed? Is that, number one, when you start really investing in plans, it's a heart activity. It's not just an intellectual activity. And when I say heart, don't just think, you know, Valentine's and, and feelings. Biblically, the heart is the real you, the real me. The heart is the control center of who we are. When we make plans, the whole of us gets wrapped up with it. And I'll give you an example. When I was in seminary, um, a, a friend of mine and, and a mutual friend of my friends has uh, got married, a guy in his 20s. And the family was British. And I went to seminary in St. Louis. So the wedding was in St. Louis, but culturally it was not so much an American wedding as a British wedding. So I wasn't able to attend, but a friend of mine was able to be there. Now, I'm from Mississippi, and this friend of mine that was in seminary with me, he was from Mississippi. So our context is deep south. So the next time I saw him after the wedding, I said, how was the wedding? <clears throat> he said, hey, big, I can sum it up in one phrase. The absence of hysterical Southern mothers, (laughs) and I knew exactly what he was talking about. I mean, I didn't know exactly how it played out there, but nor well, I have some feel for it here. But you know what? What we had grown up with is that, with great intentions, the mother of the bride and the mother of the groom, they help and they plan and they have thoughts. And they have feelings. And often somewhere along the line it goes from, I want to help you with your plans to identities are wrapped up with it. And feelings run high. That's just, that's what we're, that's not poking fun at moms. That's what we're like. That our heart gets wrapped up in it. And here's the tricky thing. When your heart gets wrapped up in it, it's hard not to feel that, well, then surely God wants to secure that for me. If he cares about me, surely he wants that to happen. And this is sort of the version of, God, here's my plan. Now bless that. And we pray that prayer. We tend to spiff it up a little bit, but that's kind of what we pray sometimes. God, here's what I've planned and here's what I've come up with and I just ask for your blessing on that. It's a hard activity, but, but here's the rub. We can do that, and we can go the extra step and just sort of assume, and that's what God planned too, and sometimes it is decidedly is not. And He's God. He's immortal. We're mortals. He's infinite, and we're finite, and our plans are finite, and if His plan and our plans are different, His plan always wins 100.0% of the time. Um, the purpose of the Lord will stand. I mean, have you ever had a plan and you felt like there's a million good reasons why God should make this plan happen and then He obliterated it? You ever had that happen? I threw that question out at the first service and there were just nods all through the room. Saw some just now. What do you think? I... Lord, you, you brought this person into my life and you, you let me love him. And, and he seemed to love me and I wanted to move ahead with it and I was trying to be godly in the way that we loved each other and I, I placed it before you and then you just ended it. And you know it's important to me. I thought you cared. I have been so careful in my work. All these times where no one was watching, except you, Lord. Except you. You could see. All those times where I could have fudged on something. I could have submitted the paperwork for reimbursement... ...and I could have fudged and gotten more than I should have. Or I could have spent more than I should have. And I didn't, and I was honest. And you saw it, and they took my job away. And all the plans I had... I wasn't trying to be a millionaire. I'm just trying to be faithful and meet these commitments, that was my revenue, and you took it. Have you ever had something like that happen? And boy, there's a moment where it's easy to feel like, I thought you cared. All this talk about God is love. Well, I'm not. it doesn't feel like you're loved right now. What do you do at that moment? Now, this is the reason why I put one other scripture in the bulletin, from, and it's from the New Testament. Look on the other page at the top. And this is a passage from the book of Acts. This is Acts chapter 2. The reason that's kind of a famous passage, Acts chapter 2, this is after Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and He sends the Holy Spirit. He said He would and and He does. We call this Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem comes down in power on a group of people. And they speak languages they don't naturally know. People become Christians and they worship. We call this Pentecost. Well, at Pentecost, the Apostle Peter stands up to sort of preach and make sense out of what's happening. Listen to one of the things that he says when, when when he stands up. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know, I mean, they're in Jerusalem, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, did you hear those two things come together in what Peter said? God had a definite plan. His plan weighs more than anybody else's plan. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But there were these lawless men. What did the lawless men do? They said, hey, let's get witnesses to say that he said this, even though Jesus never said that. Let's get these witnesses to say that Jesus did this, when Jesus never did that. And let's let's have him be incriminated, and let's have a kangaroo court, and then let's beat him up, and let's have Roman guards beat him up, Basically, torture him and then let's have him killed. And that was an evil, that was the most evil, sinister set of plans in the history of mankind to kill the one person who was good. And they do it. And here's what Peter is saying they did that, they pulled off their wicked plan. And here's how big God is when they did their wicked plan, it was already part of the plan from the beginning for him to achieve everything that he was going to achieve for a fallen, sinful world, that thing that they achieved through evil, mean, cruel plans is the thing that God sent to fix mankind, to fix the broken relationship between God and man, to fix the relationship between each other, to, to undo all that's wrong with the cosmos, to make not just reconciled people with God, but the new heavens and the new earth. He does it through that because that was His plan. Here's the deal. If that's true, here's what that frees us up to do. I can make plans, and I know my heart is going to get wrapped up in those plans. I just I get invested in it, and I know that's going to happen. And sometimes he'll let me do it. And sometimes he won't. And the more of a control freak we are, the harder that's going to be. And I kind of get the feeling that, like, if you had a, if you had a, a map and, like, little bright pins were control freaks, I bet that, like, Greenville would kind of glow a little bit, you know? <laughs> Especially at Six Walk of Mall Circle, where I live. That's who we are. So yeah, it's going to be hard if His plan weighs more than my plan and I don't get my plan. But here's the thing. If the crucifixion was His plan, done through horrible plans, I can trust Him if He changes my plans. I can trust Him. I can trust Him even when I don't understand it. That He took something wicked and did something unimaginably beautiful to literally change the universe. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with this, that wise planning is not omniscient. None of us can, like, hack into God's secret database and find out all the stuff we want to find out. We can't know what is going to happen in 2014. And it's going to have surprises, because 2013 sure did. I'm not held responsible to hack in and learn his secrets. Deuteronomy 29, 29. I'm leaving my notes, so this is dangerous. But Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children. We're not responsible for the secrets. We're responsible to be faithful. But I can do that trusting God this God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at, look at what the Proverbs say. Look at the last one. It says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. What does that mean to commit your plans to the Lord? Because if we're not careful, what that can look like is, okay, I'm going to make plans. I'm going to get things done. I'm getting things done. I'm GTDing right now, and I'm writing down next action steps, and I'm getting it out of my mind. I feel better already. And here's the way it's going to look, and here are my goals. Okay, there they are. And then to kind of go now, God, work. Amen. Well, that can be very presumptuous. But here's here's what an Old Testament scholar, Bruce Waltke. This is a guy that really knows his Hebrew. Here's what he said about that Hebrew verb commit. That you commit these things to the Lord. Here's what he says. The admonition commit to conveys a sense of finality. Roll it unto the Lord and leave it there. The faithful must not fret or worry about their effectiveness or even their purity. For that assessment and their achievement depend on God, not on the doer. And what he's saying there is, the gospel is true. Boy, if, if, if God's only going to bless my plans if they're pure, then my plans won't be blessed. Everything I plan is tainted because I did it. But that's not who God is. And he goes on to say this. Secular man who feels so self-confident, paradoxically, is plagued with fear. Pious people, he means godly people, who know God's sovereignty and their limitations live in prayer and peace. I mean Isaiah says this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. If all I know is that I can make plans but God can steamroll them, I'm going to be on eggshells all the time. If all you have is God's sovereignty and you don't have a robust sense of his love in Jesus Christ, you'll make plans walking on eggshells, but if you know What he's done in Christ, it lets you say, I'm going to make these plans. I'm invested, but I'm going to leave them with the Lord. I'm going to work on them, but I'm going to leave them with the Lord. And if he changes them, he knows what he's doing because he loves me. And I'm telling you, I hate it when he does that to me. It slays me because I have my plan and my heart got invested and I have control freak tendencies. But what does he show again and again and again? Hey, you know what, Brian? You're not God. I'm God. But it's not just that I'm God and you're not. I love you and I know better, and watch what I'm going to do. Now, what does it look like to flesh that out, to to plan wisely as an act of trust? And I just want to end on some, like, three basic things. Number one, shocker application. Make plans. Okay. Make plans. Think about what is it that God would have me do and be proactive. And maybe this is stating the obvious, but but before God commanded, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what, what is one of the oldest commands? What's really the original command? Rule over the earth and subdue it. What does it mean to subdue it? Does that mean just not take care of the earth and use it capriciously. No, it means harness it for what it can be, but you happen to it. You don't just sit and let it happen to you. Now, I'll say it again. Will 2014 have surprises? Of course. We're not all-knowing. Only God is. We're not omniscient. But 2014 doesn't just need to simply happen to us. To some degree, we need to try to happen to 2014. And that's everything from physically to spiritually. My work time, my non-work time, my relationships, my solitude. It's a good thing, however you want to do it, but pen and paper, tablet, whatever. What would you say? Tablet and finger? I don't know. But you sit down and say, I think this is a good, godly thing to aim for. I think this is planning shalom. What would that involve? And plan accordingly. That's wisdom. But the second thing is this. Don't do it in isolation. And the more important the goal is, the more important the plans are, you need other people in your life. Without going into detail... One of the biggest crisis moments I have faced where there was a decision and I didn't know what to do in the eight and a half years that I've lived in Greenville. I I was just spinning my wheels and I didn't know what to do. And at that point we had two other elders. Dana said, call them. And I called them and we rode around in the car and their counsel was different than what I thought I should do and they were right. And I would have been dead wrong. We all need that. We talk a good game about community. But sometimes we're way more American than Christian. The bigger the goal, the bigger the plan, we need each other in our lives, especially people who know you and know Jesus. That's the ideal. They really get you and they really love Jesus. Third thing is this. Do um, you know the verse Romans 8, 28? Romans 8, 28. This is New Testament. New Testament the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this. A lot of people quote this. For God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Uh, My advice to you is be careful about quoting that at people because sometimes that's quoted when people are going through tragedy. You know, a loved one dies or I lose my job, and someone kind of marches in and says, "God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose." And what that can feel like is, I don't have time to weep with you. So here's my Romans eight twenty eight sticker. I don't have time to like sit with you and walk through life with you. So I wield my Romans eight twenty eight. I would really be careful about that, about quoting it at other people. But Romans eight twenty eight is fantastic to quote at oneself. to counsel oneself, to preach at oneself, that when the plan is derailed, that when the interruption comes, to take a deep breath and say, He's loving me right now. And even though I'm wrapped around the axle, He's going to take care of that. He loves me. And just to end, I thought, you know, I wish I had some visual cue for that, some visual teaching aid to say, look, look, look how his plans are better than our plans. And then last night, I kept, I don't know how I'm going to end the sermon. And then last night, it hit me. We're sitting in it. This building is, is an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, for two years, we met without a building. We met in, a, in another sanctuary downtown at night, what we call the dark days of downtown press the winnowing years of, of downtown press. But you know what? During that time, there's a lot of meetings, a lot, a lot of you know, committee meetings and prayer and thinking about, wow, where can we be? And People in this room worked, worked, worked on that, looking at some of them right now. But I remember at one point, I, I saw a building downtown because we're committed to being downtown, and I thought, that's the building for us. I know it. It's like it's close to where people live. And you can see the skyline of downtown. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, but I thought, I know the building. And I, I started to get invested in it. In fact, I would sometimes go there at night and put my hand on it and pray. And one, and one of our elders caught me, or saw me one time, which is special, but <clears throat> <laughs> but uh, he, he knows who he is. But, uh, and here's the deal. The answer was no. And where we are sitting is so unbelievably better. Now, does it always work out that way, where you can kind of like tie it up with a bow? With it? No, it doesn't always work out that way. But literally, like, did you know, there was a funeral here yesterday. And it was the father of a member of another, a newer downtown church plant, and they don't have a building. And we were called on very short notice, and we're at, you know, could we use your building For the funeral of this church member's father, and we were able to say yes. Because God knows exactly what He's doing. And so here's, here's my exhortation let's sit down, let's be smart about 2014, let's think ahead, let's be proactive, let's not just let it happen to us. Knowing that God can and will overrule, but we can trust Him. And the way that we can literally know for certain that we can trust Him is because of the life and death and resurrection of His Son. We can trust Him that He loves us and His plan will always be for our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, help us as we maybe feel so much inertia and obstruction about even starting to make a plan, a plan about work or, or finding employment or getting healthier or um, improving a relationship or using uh, times of, of solitude more wisely, help us to plan with the life that we have. Would you also enable us when you change things, when you seemingly derail things, when you stop things, to bow down to you and to worship you for being God and to remember that you are not just wise, you're not just powerful, but you are love, that the gospel is true, that we know Jesus, so we know you're good, and that we'll hold on to that. Uh, Would you establish our plans as you see fit for us as individuals and as a church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.